0: Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those new members of the running community who want to knock out their first race, whether it's a 5k, full marathon, or anything in between. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. the guy who just ran the most iconic race in the world, a.k.a. the NYC Marathon with 50 days notice, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer, gamer, and sneakerhead who specializes in helping clients reach their health and fitness goals this podcast is a dash of motivational words, a chronicle of my running my personal journey on the road to Gainesville, some poor attempts at humor, but above all, it's the place where we cover the marathon mindset, the running routines, and everything else you need to know to help you absolutely dominate your first race. I know our episodes are pretty infrequent, And for that, I sincerely apologize to you, my dear Psychomaniac Pavement Pounder. Between work and moving and training for a full marathon with 50 days notice, and my predilection for having our conversations here fully scripted and edited prior to taking a seat in the brand new studio, a.k.a. the bedroom closet of our new house... I've struggled to find the time to sit down and brainstorm topics of conversation, much less actually compose an episode. Although I'm not a certified pro yet at making videos, I have thoroughly enjoyed how quickly I've been able to record and edit them. So if you find yourself wanting to discuss sneakers or video games or for the purposes of today's conversation, you want to see everything about my first NYC Marathon experience from bib pickup to transportation to the course and a whole bunch more, make sure you do me a solid and absolutely annihilate that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and be sure to demolish that little bell so you know when our twice weekly videos go live on Mondays and Thursdays. The videos have been easier for me to produce, since I can just record and edit real quick. Maybe it's because that's all off the cuff and this is quote-unquote produced, for lack of a better term, but it always takes me much longer to produce a conversation here from a time standpoint. When we were in New York, I recorded anything and everything that I would want to know about the race. What the expo looks like, how the transportation works to the start line, if there are restrooms by the start village, the corrals, all that kind of stuff. I also did a general New York vlog because obviously the wife and I had to see a bunch of sights and eat a bunch of food when we were in the Big Apple because something I didn't really do was talk about the mental component of the race in those videos because deep down I knew that was a conversation I wanted to have with you, dear listener. But before we dive into the specifics of the race, let's backtrack a little bit and briefly recap if for some inexplicable reason you did not listen to our previous episode where we discussed how one trains for a marathon with only 50 days notice. Due to my being a member of the Honey Stinger Hive Ambassador Program, I was able to secure an entry to my dream race, and for that, I will always be eternally grateful to Honey Stinger. I always loved their products, so becoming an ambassador was awesome, and then the fact they gave me a shot at completing my final goal related to running means, I mean, I'm always going to be singing their praises. So, I find out with 50 days notice, I have a shot at running literally the only race I wanted to complete, the TCS New York Marathon. Being the hardcore planner that I am, I immediately went into preparation mode and started plotting which days I could do long runs, which I would need to do shorter ones. Essentially, I went into making the most important training plan of my life. Even with only a handful of weekends until race day, I knew with all the experience I've accrued over the years, all the miles I've logged, and with all the lessons I've taken to heart, I knew deep down I could cross the finish line in the upright position. So long as I stuck to my plan that I created for the body and mind I know like the back of my hand, you know, my body, I knew I'd be able to be in the best shape I possibly could. However, in addition to this race, I was also in the process of prepping for a move. I needed to paint and get fixtures installed at the new house, And I had some family stuff taking up my time, all in addition to, you know, the full-time job I have going on. This is going to seem like a tangent, but I swear this is a quick one. Have you ever heard someone say like, oh, we all only have 24 hours in a day, like Bill Gates or Beyonce or whoever else, they all only have 24 hours in a day. Well, those people have money and people to get things done for them. And I don't have that same luxury. I don't get it twisted. I don't say all this seeking sympathy or to humble brag or any junk like that. I mention all of this because we all, you know, only have so much time in the day. And with limited time and not infinite funds at my disposal, something had to give. Between a hard move out and moving day, my sister, cousin, and brother-in-law offered to come help me with getting the interior of the house painted. Installing all new fixtures, knocking out power washing, cleaning up landscaping, a ton of other things that honestly I was planning to do solo. But if I had done that, I there's no way that I would have gotten through that with only a week's time. Prioritizing the comfort of my family and knowing how much harder all that stuff would have been to do once we were fully moved in. I ended up not doing a pair of long weekend runs. I ran 18 miles on 10-10, October 10th, 21 miles on October 16th, and then 15 on October 30th. Obviously, this is not ideal, as high-mileage running had become a foreign affair to my body over the past 18 months or so, but something had to slip, and as much as I hated it, it had to be my running. As we've discussed... Cultivating your marathon mindset is all about finding balance. Running is just one small part of who we are as human beings. If I had focused on running and not done everything in my power to get our new home ready for move-in, I never would have forgiven myself. While I certainly don't regret that decision in the slightest, let me tell you, when we flew out to NYC, my nerves were at an all-time high. Physical fitness in general, not just running, is very much a use-it-or-lose-it type proposition. Considering I hadn't really been running, I'd primarily only been walking when I first started training, you know, I was pretty nervous. Then I did a couple of those long training runs, like uh, we had talked about in early October, and I kind of settled back into the correct mindset. I found a comfortable pace, a run-walk interval cadence to helped me get back to that high mileage and then the mind started to ease up a little bit and then I skipped two long runs since we were working on the house the last training run on October 30th was anything but good and when the time came to board the plane to NYC needless to say the nerves had returned in earnest Although travel discussions are much more suited to the True Bros YouTube channel than our conversations here at Anyone Can Run, I will say, as the race and wedding anniversary both fell during our trip to New York, we opted to fly first class, and I have never been more comfortable on a plane. Now, it's probably not something I'll be able to do regularly, as I think those tickets cost like 20 or 30% more, but hot dang, it was worth every penny if I had more of those pennies to spend on travel. Anyways, we landed in Nueva York two and a half days before the race. So we did tons of walking and sightseeing and that kind of helps me stay loose. I for one can't stand just sitting around in the days leading up to a race. So getting to log some miles, even if I'm just walking in my fly sneakers, seeing awesome sights with the wife, it was absolutely awesome. The day before the race, though, you know, honestly, I was feeling pretty dang good. As somebody who sweats immensely, we're talking whenever I do 10 miles or more and I take off my headband, there's like a line of crystallized sweat there because I, again, I sweat so much. The weather in New York was very conducive to a high mileage run. When I was hanging around the start village in the couple hours leading up to my start time, A gentleman saw my Disney World Marathon 2020 shirt and was like, buddy, that was one of the hottest marathons on record, which I can say from experience, it absolutely was. Running 26.2 miles in 90 degree Fahrenheit heat is neither fun nor smart, nor is it very safe. And that race reinforced for me that I would never do another marathon, unless, of course, we're talking about running through all five boroughs in New York. That being said, as someone who's accustomed to those high temperatures, even if they suck and they're absolutely brutal, I'm much more comfortable in the heat than in the cold, as far as running goes. Now, if I was more accustomed to running in the frigid temperatures, I'm sure I'd prefer that because that's infinitely better, but predilections are formed based off our experiences and In Central Texas, we don't get to experience cold too frequently. I remember vividly trudging along during the last few miles of the Disney World race. And since I trained thoroughly, and we had no choice but to walk due to the excruciating heat, I remember finishing that race and feeling like I still had tons more left in the tank, which was something I hadn't really experienced before. As that was my most recent race experience to draw on, during the two hours in the start village where I was vlogging and having bagels, drinking water, and Gatorade, I was reflecting on how much better I had felt on that particular race day. Now, sure, I was sore because that was part of the dopey challenge in four races in four days, and I wasn't sore at all leading up to this race, but for Disney, I had trained extensively and I was ready for that challenge at hand, both physically and mentally. While I'll admit I was apprehensive as I hung around the start Village, I wasn't exactly nervous. It's a difficult feeling to accurately articulate, but I can confidently say, even though I knew I wasn't physically where I wanted to be, my mindset had never been stronger. I knew that I could do it even if I knew it wasn't going to be fun at all. And I was about to line up at the start line of my dream race and achieve my final goal related to running. You couple all of that with the marathon mindset I'd been cultivating over the years, and needless to say, I was ready to begin pounding the pavement. I endeavored early to do a couple things over the course of this race to help me stay focused. I wanted to vlog every few seconds, like every time I saw a mile marker. If I felt like I was struggling, I wanted to do a little vlog to talk to y'all. And also, listen to my marathon playlist I had created just for this race. On the subject of music, I've been running with the same pair of earbuds. I think they're called Jaybird Run XT, or maybe they're just Jaybird Run. But I've been using those for the past couple of years, ever since I purchased them, I think, a night before I ran a half marathon here in town on 36 hours notice. Considering the hundreds of miles I've logged in them, mostly walking, but you know, some running, they don't last quite as long as they used to. Now, quality's still good, but you know, the battery life just isn't there anymore. So I picked up a highly rated pair of earbuds off Amazon. I'd used them for a few of the lengthy training runs I'd knocked out, and I knew the battery life was impressive. I want to say it was like... Four or five hours. Because I did use it a couple times, and both times it was like, yeah, I think it was close to five hours. So I began inching my way to the start line, right? Once my corral had been let loose, and I popped in the left earbud. And I got into my race day frame of mind as I listened to Bad Outta Hell by Meatloaf, followed by my three NWA salvos, because I always use the same four songs to start a race. It's always Bad Outta Hell, and then, uh, F the police, and then gangsta gangsta, and then what's the other one? Straight out of Compton. So I always start with those four songs. The New York race begins crossing over the Staten Island Bridge, and I'll tell you, that view was absolutely gorgeous. After stopping for a few selfies, I turned the volume up in my one earbud because the plan was to use one until it died and then switch to the other, and I began sticking to my planned cadence of five minutes running, five minutes power walking. And I stuck with this admittedly peculiar interval, as that is what I'd been sticking to over the past year and a half. As I mentioned, I hadn't really been running at all. I'd primarily been walking. I'd run for maybe a minute or two. But I was mostly just walking to get outdoors, get some exercise in, and listen to my audiobooks. Considering I needed to do some type of running to prepare for this race... I stuck with that same cadence to not shock my system too much, as I already knew the increased mileage was going to be tough. To paint a little bit of a visual picture, in case you haven't watched our accompanying YouTube video for this, this is the outfit I'm rocking at this point. At the start of the race, I have my Texas shorts with pants over them, so unfortunately you can't see the flag, a black tank top with my long sleeve Disney 2020 marathon shirt over that, a Dunkin' Donuts beanie that had been given to me in Start Village because, again, it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit and I'm freezing. My trusty Gooder sunglasses. A left earbud. And a pair of running gloves I'd picked up, which were actually really nice. I picked them up at the expo. Some New Balance running gloves. I could actually, I couldn't text with them, but I could actually take pictures, which was pretty nice. So, like I mentioned, it was around 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which for me, as a Texan, that's pretty dang cold. But I saw tons of people running in just like tank tops and shorts. After about two to two and a half miles, I could feel myself beginning to sweat slightly. So as the song ended, I popped the beanie into my pant pocket. I quickly removed the shirt and I twisted it around my belt or I looped it around my belt. At many of these races, it's not uncommon to see people toss shirts or pants or sweaters at the start line and these eventually get donated and i had planned to do that in the start or the start village but i knew dang well as i crossed that start line even though it was high noon which is supposed to be you know one of the harder hotter points of the day there was a pretty good chance i would need it again and get cold because i would get cold so i just wrapped it around my trusty running belt after i ran another quarter mile or so i realized that my music wasn't playing and i went to turn up the volume And it dawned on me that I'd lost my left earbud when I took my shirt off. Yes, in my infinite wisdom, where I have a running belt with multiple pockets and pants with pockets, I hadn't taken the earbud out when I took my top layer off. And as a result, I lost the left earbud. This meant not only would I not have music for the entire duration of the race more than likely, but I actually hear better out of my left ear. So... I wouldn't be able to get truly lost in my music. Like when the wife and I walk, she's always on my left side because, you know, having conversations and I just hear better out of that side. Regardless of my plans, I was barely two and a half miles into the race and I knew I needed my tunes to stay dialed in early, you know, to be motivated and whatnot. So I popped in the right earbud and I stuck to the game plan. While I thought not being able to hear music as well would be a hindrance, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Yes, I could certainly still hear my tunes, but not nearly as well as I would have liked, but more importantly, I was able to take in the sights and sounds of the race, and by extension, New York City. If you're a psychomaniac pavement pounder who is yet to line up at their first start line, you'll soon find out While every race has a place for spectators, and while many of the large races, like the rock and roll, the Disney races, have multiple places for people to cheer you on, there's always some quote-unquote dead zones where it's just you and your fellow runners. Save for the numerous bridges littered throughout the race course, there were spectators everywhere. And I mean it. There was never a part where I wasn't running, again, except for the bridges where spectators were not allowed, where people weren't cheering thousands of runners on. As you can imagine, it was pretty dang motivating to see thousands of New Yorkers, and I assume, you know, people from other countries and states, line the streets of the city to cheer on their family, their friends, and thousands of strangers. And being able to hear the cheers crystal clearly was an unanticipated benefit of ditching the earbud I really needed most early in the race. You know, maybe it's just me, but whenever I'm at these races, I don't see too many people who look like me. Not to get all preachy or anything like that, but I'm a Hispanic and Latino Texan male, and it doesn't matter if I'm at home watching the latest Marvel movie, or if I'm at the start line of the race. I tend to be the odd man out in terms of My appearance. Now, it's not a big deal for a fully fledged adult like myself who's now a homeowner and knows how to pay taxes and just bought their first Shiba coin. But I always worry about issues of representation for the next generation because I know it would have been nice when I was little to dress up as something other than a ninja for Halloween because none of my favorite superheroes look like me. Trust me. You're still listening to Anyone Can Run, and no, I haven't decided to shift the focus of our dear corner of the internet away from the marathon mindset. I bring this up because while that was still the case when I was running the streets of New York City, something pretty dang beautiful happened in, I want to say it was Brooklyn, between the miles of four and seven. I saw tons of people who were the same color as me lining the streets blasting music, cheering on the runners. Three times, I saw families holding Mexican flags as they cheered. And when they saw me trudging along, because at this point, you know, I'm still running pretty dang strong, they lost it. It was exciting, man. They'd lovingly smack their children and direct them to look at me, because they saw someone who looked like them running the course through their city. Two of the three times I saw these families, there were, you know, a bunch of, older guys, I don't know, uncles, family, whatever you want to call it. And I would raise my fist in the air. And let me tell you, it was one of the most inspiring sights of my life to see seven or eight complete strangers immediately raise their fists in response, in unison, in solidarity. Was I the only Hispanic Latino who ran that race? No way, no how. I'm not naive. But I bring this up because these little moments are what I find most motivating and inspiring. And being able to really hear their cheers and excitement did wonders for my heart and soul. That's a big reason why I wanted to start doing YouTube is I see a lot of young gamers, right? And they're watching vloggers and they're, getting, they're consuming that content on YouTube. And that's awesome. But I think, you know, if this was me 20 years ago and I'm at that age where I'm young and impressionable, I'm thinking what I want to do as a hobby. There's not a lot of people who look like me. It's uh maybe if I wasn't me, you know, if I was another 10-year-old, maybe I would have gotten dejected about that. So that's why I always, I took the mask off from Twitch. That's why I started doing YouTube. It's like, you know, I think it's important, but that's just me. And as I said, losing the earbud was an unexpected blessing in disguise to get back on track. Most of the race was pretty uneventful, save for, of course, the constant energy of the spectators. I remember stopping to go to the restroom just before the halfway mark. I could see the 13-mile marker. And while I was slightly more tired than I expected, sticking to my five-on-five-off cadence, I was feeling hydrated and strong And I was optimistic that I'd be able to achieve the time goal I had in the back of my mind. My longest training run prior to race day was 21 miles, which I had knocked out in just over four and a half hours. I think it was like four hours, 32 minutes or something like that. Truth be told, even that time was a little slow because I slowed down significantly because it was pretty dang hot that day and I felt great at the end. So I was optimistic that I could have kept trucking along at an even faster pace had I not been in Texas and it had been, you know, 90 degrees. When I crossed the halfway mark of the marathon, I was around two hours and 50 minutes, which I knew was slower than I wanted. But I thought it best to take things easy, not push too hard, too early, be on track to finish under six hours. And then, you know, if I'm still feeling strong at mile 23 or whatever, I'll pick up the pace a little bit. The number one rule of race day is to stick to what brought you to the dance. So I kept my pace the same, I hydrated and fueled at regular intervals, and I was feeling pretty dang good until I got past the mile 15 marker. It must have been around mile 15 and a quarter or so, but I remember running and I felt fine, felt great, and then out of nowhere, I got literally the worst cramp I've ever felt in my right thigh. The pain was debilitating because I've had cramps, right? As an athlete, even if you don't work out at all, we've all had cramps at some point. But this one was debilitating, man. I had to do a little stutter step to keep myself from collapsing because for a few seconds, probably three to six seconds, I couldn't even put weight on my right leg without feeling excruciating pain. I can confirm that that was the worst physical pain I've ever felt in my life. And I knew there, with just over 11 miles to go, that I was pretty close to being physically done. Reflecting on that moment, which is something I did only a few miles later, at mile 17, I can honestly say that if that cramp had occurred during any other race, I would have called it right there. If I had experienced a cramp so severe as that during a training run... I would have sat for 10-15 minutes, give it the opportunity to pass, stretch out a little bit, and then slowly walked my way back to my vehicle. Or if I needed to, I would have even caught a lift. But here I was, just over halfway through completing my dream race. And the only thing I could think was, I am so dang close. When I experienced the cramp after that little stutter (laughs) where I couldn't walk for a few seconds, I kept walking. Now mind you, I'm kind of hunched forward and my right leg was kind of swung out on account of the immense pain. But this race has a strict time limit. And while my pace wasn't as good as I wanted to, up to or I wanted it to be up to this point, it was good enough to give me a hefty lead on any potential time limits. I had mentally told myself at the start line, this was it. This is the race. And once I'm done here, I'm done for good. There wasn't a make-or-break moment where I had to mentally wrestle with the prospect of not finishing like there was during my first race. There were no nerves or concern that I could finish the mileage, even in my ever-deteriorating physical state. Nah, 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 nah. Over the years, I've dealt with so many muscle aches and strains, sore and bruised joints. I've logged hundreds of miles. I've battled the cold and the heat. And have been extremely uncomfortable more times than I care to admit. But along the way, I racked up plenty of miles and medals. But you know the biggest benefit of all that effort and all that struggle? The greatest takeaway all that work had given me? It was my marathon mentality. I knew this was the worst physical pain of my life. But I also knew how to look good enough. So any passerby would think I was just stretching and resting a little bit. Now, I couldn't stop walking. Oh, no, no, no. Not with that tremendous pain pulsating through my thigh. I knew if I sat down, there was a fairly good chance I wouldn't physically be able to get back up. So I kept limping along. I felt physically atrocious. I was having to put most of my weight on my left leg for a solid 10 minutes. So you know what I did? I vlogged a little bit to update all you psychomaniacs. As I alluded to, Just a bit ago, during my first race, I wrestled with the idea of throwing in the towel at mile 17. A few years back from my birthday, I ventured to Dallas to run the final Rock and Roll Dallas Half Marathon. And I can honestly say, I'd never been so prepared for a race as I was for that Dallas one. Up to that point, I'd only run races at either Disneyland or Disney World. But I was in my home state, I was regularly knocking out my training runs faster than ever before typically with a shirt off, for reasons we will discuss in a second, and I felt extremely confident about how I was going to perform come race day. Hadn't dawned on me that running a race in my beloved Texas in the middle of March meant running a race with a top, which, you know, I used to approach races with a much more aggressive mindset than any of my training runs. Now I kind of think about them the same. But that meant running in a humidity I wasn't accustomed to With that specific frame of mind. I wasn't used to having to reconcile that aggressive mindset with that weather. Because like I said, I used to think of my training runs and my race days as being completely unrelated. Obviously they're not, but that was just kind of the mind frame that I used to get in back in the day. Around mile 9 or so of the Dallas race, I had to deal with extreme chafing and some bleeding. And it absolutely ruined my headspace. I had trouble quote unquote revving up and I struggled both mentally and physically for the rest of the race. This time, at mile 15 point whatever of the New York City Marathon, none of that happened. Over the years, I've accrued mileage and experience and cultivated my mentality, so I didn't panic at all. I knew I had to keep pressing forward to reach my goal. And it was in that moment I had to admit that the me of a couple years ago absolutely would have gone into a mental downward spiral. I would have been privately fuming that I had to end my race. As a staunch advocate of listening to my body, in that moment where I experienced the worst physical pain of my life, I knew if I ran into that a few years ago, I would have had to have called the race. However, at this point, not only was I benefiting from my experience, even if I'd never wrestled with a cramp so severe before, I had experience dealing with them, and I knew the best thing for me to do would just be to keep walking, not just for purposes of the race, but to help work through the cramp. I also know how my body responds to cramps and pain, so I compensated for a few minutes, and then I was able to resume running, albeit at a much slower interval, around 10 minutes after that happened. And around that point of me being able to run again so mile let's just say mile 16 around that point I felt twinges of pain creeping up in my thigh the same thigh the right one so I thought it best to lay off the running and just walk for a bit I'd compensate with my left leg when I thought it was necessary now granted my pace was atrocious at this point and if you don't believe me Go back to the At True Bros Instagram and check my post from November 14th where I posted a picture of my progress from the map and you'll be able to tell exactly where the cramp set in because my pace went from yellow to red. I continued trudging along, motivated by the numerous spectators, the progression of the race course, and deep down, knowing all I had to do was make it through this one race and then I'd never have to do a marathon again. That worked well for a bit. Then I entered the long stretch down 1st Avenue in Manhattan, which was lined with people. We're talking, this is, I don't know, a mile and a half, two miles? It's a long way. And it was just lined with people. As I was doing a slight run-walk cadence, but mostly walking down that long, beautiful, straight stretch of course, I got a cramp in my left leg. (laughs) Now, it wasn't nearly as severe and painful as the one I had in my right, but that right one was an extreme. And if I had experienced that left leg cramp during training, I absolutely would have been done too, because it was pretty bad. But in my head, at this point, was only comparing it to the pain I had felt on the race course, right? So I'm only thinking about how I felt 15 minutes before, and not any other time. And by comparison, it didn't feel that bad. But still, it was at mile 17 of this race, I want to say it was 17.1, that I reached my physical limit. My thighs felt shot. My left ankle was beginning to bother me just a teeny bit, and it was really just because of the compensation with the weight. I remember trying to go back to a short running interval. Maybe it was like 10 seconds on, 50 seconds walking. And it was at this point, it hit me. I physically could not run anymore. I remember going down a little bridge after finishing off that long straightaway on 1st Avenue. I want to say we were entering Queens, but I could be misremembering. And for a second, in my exhaustion, I closed my eyes for a moment. Now, no one's directly in front of me. I closed my eyes as I was walking, maybe two or three seconds. And I would looked at the floor, so, you know, there's no potholes or anything like that. I was just dealing with an inordinate amount of physical pain. And it was at this specific moment, my eyes shot back open as I trudged along. Because it felt like I had been mentally slapped in the face. You see, I realized after only having my eyes closed for maybe two seconds, maybe three, at the most, that if I had kept them closed any longer, I likely would have passed out. It was as if when I closed my eyes, the dehydration and the amount of pain I was in caught up with me. So I opened my eyes back up because my mindset wasn't going to let that happen. And I briefly mentioned this in the video, but I remember describing that moment to my wife. Have you ever seen those large harnesses people wear when they're like in a movie and they're sitting on a plane and they're about to jump? Or when fighter pilots get strapped in? Those harnesses remind me of like the kind of safety buckle you'd use when you're on a ride in an amusement park. However, these cover the entirety of your torso, right? And in that moment, I felt as if I was mentally falling forward and the mentality I'd cultivated over the years was my harness. It's like I was starting to drift from the combination of exhaustion and pain and my mentality caught me, slapped me awake as if saying, nah, 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 not today, bro. Now, before moving on, I want to unpack that particular moment because as I compose our conversations here, I feel as if it sounds as if I'm patting myself on the back and saying, look at how strong my mindset is. Now, in a way, sure, of course, right? It's my podcast, I am. (laughs) But taking that sentiment at face value is to misconstrue the journey my personal marathon mindset went through to get to this point. We've discussed this quite a bit in our previous conversations. But when I had that pivotal juncture in my first marathon where I decided I was gonna finish that race, It was like a mental engine fired up in my mind. The hyper-aggressive side of my mind manifested and helped me get through that entire ordeal. It took years of me dealing with mental frustration and anger to get that aspect of my mentality under control. Heck, maybe control isn't even the correct word to describe it. Maybe it was just me learning how to live with that aggressive aspect of my mindset, which truth be told... Primarily manifests when I'm in the office, but it absolutely did for years as part of my training. And I bring this up because this struggle is one that I've lived with for years. Maybe your personal marathon mindset doesn't have the same level of aggression, and that's alright. No two people are exactly alike, especially when it comes to how we process and view things. On this particular race day, where I was going up against the NYC Marathon... I didn't feel my blood boil. I didn't feel frustration swell up in my chest as I had so many times over the past years. This time, I was just woken up. But the outcome was the same, and that's the thing I want to emphasize. It used to be like an engine roared in my head, and a fire raged, and I was ready to go. This time, it was like water swelled to the top of the tub, but never overflowed like it had so many times over the years this time it was a more controlled experience and I felt no nerves but that's all attributable to experience and another thing or another aspect of this that I want to discuss with you is you know yes I gritted my teeth and I marched through the pain and spoiler alert I finished that race I knew I would Because I viewed this as my eight-mile moment, right? My one shot to make a dream come true. But let's take a stock of where I physically was at mile 17 of this race. I'm unable to run. I'm barely able to walk. My thighs felt worse than they ever have. And my right one specifically is giving me the worst physical pain I have ever experienced. My ankle is bugging me a little bit. My back is aching because of the poor form I've been forced to trudge along for the past couple miles. I am dehydrated and I am physically ready to pass out. If the picture isn't clear at this point, I'm in pretty atrocious physical shape. And it was at mile 17 of what is most likely my last marathon that I reached my physical limit. As a staunch advocate of listening to your body and taking it easy... This was not a good situation for me to be in, because I knew that aggressive aspect of my personality was going to make me finish that race no matter what, and I was not in good shape. This is why a few minutes ago, I said it was like I'd woken up, but the outcome was the same. Sure, my heart didn't start pounding, and I didn't lose my cool, and I just kept trudging along, but that aspect of my marathon mentality was something that still manifested That quote-unquote, win-at-all-costs mentality is something I feel that is typically commended, but I'm here to tell you, my dear psychomaniac runner, that you need to be cognizant of your well-being. I don't know if it's a distinctly American trait or if it just comes from consuming so much sports ever since I was a youngling, but I have seen that will to win, that win-at-all-costs mentality be lionized and praised time and time again. Now, I certainly don't regret what happened that day or any of the other times it occurred in the past because it helped me have one of my few dreams in this world come true. But what if a few years from now, I develop lingering issues in my thigh? I sure as hell hope that doesn't happen. And since that race, I've already knocked out a couple four-mile runs where I felt right as rain but that's the inverse I want to emphasize during our discussion today. There is absolutely a thing as going too far with our mindsets, as I know I'm certainly not unique in this regard. I pushed myself past my physical breaking point, and then I still kept limping and trudging along for nine miles, all in pursuit of my goal. When I know full well if this had happened, literally any other race I had done it, in my life up to this point, if this has happened, if this happened any other time, period, I would have called it. I would have been done. This is a tiny bit of a tangent, but you notice how I always say called it or decided not to finish instead of quitting. The power of language is one which cannot be overstated, and this is why our conversations are so focused on the mentality of athletes, because I vehemently believe this is not something that gets discussed enough. If I was running my first Disney half marathon and I had that pain in my thigh, I would have stopped because the pain was absolutely unbearable. Now, sure, you could say I quit, but I would view that decision as taking care of my well-being because regardless of the circumstance, we're all just human beings at the end of the day. We're all people with physical limits and different pain tolerances and all that sort of thing. And... While I absolutely achieved what I set out to do, I wanted to take a few minutes to discuss how important it is for you to be cognizant of your physical well-being. No other human being in the history of our time on this planet knows your body like you do, nor are they capable of knowing how you're physically feeling or how that correlates to your personal experiences, your pain tolerance, and all that kind of stuff. The onus is on you to take care of yourself. And even if you're on the cusp of achieving a lifelong dream, that is no reason to jeopardize your long-term well-being. That's just something that I wanted to dive into a bit because I don't believe the potential for mentally pushing yourself too far is something which gets enough airtime anywhere. That's why we always talk about cultivating this marathon mindset. It's something you have to be actively cognizant of, because if you're not, there's the potential for you to not reach your goals, but there's also the potential for you to push yourself too far. Now, the rest of the race, from that point, honestly, it's kind of a blur. I remember sending some messages and doing a bit of vlogging, but for the most part, I was just kind of limping along. Not long before my staunch realization I could not run, I had heard my old theme song, The Greatest Show by Panic at the Disco, and my heart swelled a little bit, and I thought, you know, I could resume running. Took like three steps, and it was like, well, nope, I sure couldn't. So I limped, and I walked, and as the sun set when I was in Queens, I knew it was not going to be a fun evening. That being said, I remember Harlem still being full of spectators with music blasting and dancing and cheering and clapping. To see that, knowing literally thousands of runners had already passed through their neighborhood, and here we are at the tail end of it, and they're still out there? Man, that does wonders for your heart. By the time I limped my way into Central Park for the final two miles, the majority of the spectators had left. There were still people cheering for sure. People... May or may not have been offering runners white claws I can neither confirm nor deny. But the number of spectators weren't like what you see on TV. For me, that didn't matter. I knew I was crossing that finish line. And when I finally did, I can absolutely say this time was unlike any other before. There was no groundswell of emotion in my heart like there was the first time. There was no cheering and hollering. There was no me punching... The fist in the air like when I set PRs. It was crossing the finish line, thinking to myself, you got dang right. And I mean, you know, with profanity. But you get what I'm saying. Then I grabbed my medal. I'd accomplished what I'd set out to do. I made a lifelong dream come true, no matter the cost. But I'm here to tell you, it sure as heck was painful. Even when I was boarding the Staten Island Ferry to get to the start village... I remember seeing tons of people clap and cheer as us runners filed through. As I smiled and clapped along, I remember hearing one last time from Hamilton in my head. Even then, I knew I wasn't physically ready for this race. And deep down, I knew that I didn't actually want to do this because I'm not physically ready. But I had in my hands the ability to make a dream of mine come true. And that's a luxury not many people get. In my eyes, I had no choice but to scratch and claw to make that happen. As I reflect upon that day, I can confidently say, unless I am getting paid an exorbitant amount of money, and that's exorbitant to me, not to somebody else, so we're talking like a few hundred thousand dollars, I will never take on another full 26.2 miles again. I set out to achieve specific goals over the past five years related to running, and they've all been knocked out. As my wife sat in the stands and watched people cross the finish line of the most iconic race in the world, she said she was tearing up repeatedly. It's because she knows what it's required to take on a full marathon, and it's an experience I vehemently believe every human being needs to accomplish at least once in their lives. Even if I'm not going to be lining up at a full marathon start line likely ever again, I would not be surprised if we regularly visit Nueva York to cheer for those taking on that race. The atmosphere was one, un- it was unlike any other. And it was beautiful to see legions of people cheering on those who ran through their city. That was my New York marathon experience, and bro, it was one heck of a ride. Even if I don't plan to run any races for the foreseeable future, I still want to regularly have conversations here to help any new members of the running community lay the foundation for their own marathon mindsets. I do struggle with finding topics of conversation I believe are detailed enough for a full-fledged discussion, so if you have any ideas for a topic, feel free to hit me up and I'll see if I can make something out of it. As always, I appreciate you spending some time with me today, and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop new episodes whenever we have a new topic to discuss, so make sure you smash that subscribe button. If you ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at anyonecanrunpod. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another live a healthy and fit lifestyle. If you need more gains, do me a solid. And pound that subscribe button on YouTube, as I'm typically dropping two videos a week on Mondays and Thursdays. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast, and if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for, and regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.